Hello and welcome to a special Who's He podcast with me, Phil. Now, why is this a special podcast, I hear you ask? Well, on the 2nd of September, I attended the Hooverville convention in Derby for the first time. Um, it was always a convention I'd always wanted to attend, um, but because it did sort of kind of clash with the mini charity run that I take part in each year, and those of you who follow me on Facebook and Twitter will know what I'm talking about there, um, it's never been possible to get up to Derby. Um, however, as my little mini was off the road this year, um, the story of which I could dedicate an entire podcast to, if I'm honest, um, I decided that this year it was the time to go to Hooverville, or Hooverville 9 to give it its full title. Um, but this convention is like no other that I've been to. Um, I've been to the official BBC conventions and the Gallifrey One convention in, in, in LA for a, uh, on a couple of occasions, um, but all the convention guests are usually off-limits to podcasters. Um, but at Hooverville, podcasters have full access to all of the guests and get the chance to sit down and have some interviews with them. So, um, even though this was my first time attending, I was led to the podcast room, was invited to take part in a few interviews, uh, the first of which you will hear uh, fairly shortly. Now, I have a lot of people to thank for inviting me to take part in these interviews and for making it all possible, really. So, I'll do all that, um, you know, all the shout-outs at the, at the end of the show. So, what you're about to hear is an interview with ex-Doctor Who producer Philip Hinchcliffe. Um, I have to say I was extremely nervous as this was my first interview of the day and I was also interviewing him alone. Um, so, you know, no pressure then. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, and shame on you if you don't, um, Philip Hinchcliffe was the producer on Doctor Who from 1974 to 1977. And under his tenure, um, we saw the introduction of Tom Baker and many classic stories such, such as Genesis of the Daleks, The Brain of Morbius, and the talents of Wen Chiang to name but a few. But um, before I play you the interview, there was a bit of a mishap with the recording equipment in that it wasn't actually switched on. Uh, but thanks to Tim Drury of Tim's Take On Podcast, he was recording it on his MP3 recorder, so hooray for Tim. Um, but as neither Philip Hinchcliffe nor I were sitting that close to the recorder, it does sound like we were both sitting at the other end of the room um, at times. But I don't think that will spoil your listening enjoyment. This is Phil, and I'm joined by another Philip, Philip Hinchcliffe. Welcome. Welcome, myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have briefly met once before. You might not, probably won't remember, this is at Gallifrey in February this I year. I recognise your face, I'm yes. good on faces. Yes, we were on the same coach from the airport, actually on the same flight, out, on the same coach of the hotel, and I think we accused each other of following each other when we stood in the, in the, right. in the lobby at the is hotel. This, uh, in, Fe in, in February, sure, that's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. So, how do you find doing conventions, full stop? Uh, is it a busy thing for you? Yes, I mean, I've not done as many as you know, people like Fraser Hines yeah. and uh, other people. But um, I started to do them a few years ago. I went to LA, what, four years ago, I think, mm -hmm. well, uh, and I'd done a few conventions in the UK, but not, yeah. you know, I haven't made a career out of going to conventions, <laughs> and uh, uh, I never went to any while I was still producing, and uh, people were going out, like mm -hmm. Tom and Louise and everybody were, were 
started going out to America, I don't know, probably what, in the 90s, I can't yeah. remember. So I wasn't part of all that. And then when, pretty much when I was retired or semi-retired, I thought, mm. well, I don't know. I don't know where I got the idea from. I, I think people kept asking me, and I yeah. always said no. So I started saying yes. Well, what did you say no initially? Well, I was busy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was busy, really. That was concentrating it. on what I was doing, you know. Um, but I think probably uh, with the, the the show coming back mm. and the sort of resurgence of interest in it, I think that coincided with me pretty much retiring. And yeah. I thought, uh, well, there was just a renewed interest in what I'd done, I think. That's um, right. Yeah. And so I thought, yeah, no, I'll, I'll go to more, I'll say yes to more invites. You know? Yeah. Uh, that's what I do, yeah. So do you find sort of it's sort of quite weird that you're still talking about Doctor Who all yeah, these, these years later? Yeah, it's weird. It's yeah. weird, yeah. What, what, what do you sort of um, why do you think people still want to talk? Particularly because your era is known as sort of the golden era of Doctor Who. It was sort of getting the, the highest ratings week after week, over 10 million viewers. Um, why do you think now that all of a sudden now people want to talk about those those years? I suppose the I suppose it's the children who've grown up. Yes, uh, <laughs> me too. And, uh, and I suppose there's some fascination in being able to meet the people yeah. who were in those shows. You know, whether it's Tom and Louise and uh, you know Liz when she was around, and, and other actors, and, and to meet the people behind the show like mm. me, um, it, it probably is quite a, you know a fascinating thing to do. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. It certainly is. Especially I can't believe I'm sitting here talking to you right now, actually, because I grew up. That's the period when I grew up watching television was that, that era of Doctor Who. But before then, I mean, what, what were you, how did you get into um, producing? Because you were a script editor before then, weren't you? Yes, there was a, I mean, there were kind of two routes into television drama when mm. I started out. I mean, a lot of people went into television, but they, they went into what you'd call factual. Mm. You know, they went on to sort of talk shows or yeah. into making documentaries or news or, or some went to the sport, you know. Yeah. Um, and quite a few went into light entertainment. But getting into light entertainment, getting into drama was similar in a way that you... Uh, one route was you went through the production pyramids and mm. you sort of joined at the bottom. Yeah. And worked your way up to be, I don't know, a director, a producer, whatever. Um, and... In drama, there were two routes really. One was that route, production route. And the other was you could go into the store, what they called story department, mm-hmm. uh, which was really to do with scripting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and that was the route that I kind of found. I, my first job was in a script department at ATV, the greatest company. Yeah. And so I was involved in sort of new ideas and um, suggesting writers for series and yeah, uh, you know, things like that. So, I mean, also, I didn't know until um, today, actually, you actually also worked on Crossroads very briefly as well. Just listening to Fraser Hines and um, Wendy Padbury saying that she worked on Crossroads. Oh, really? Yeah. um, What's that like working on a sort of, it was like, it was a daily soap back in Crossroads, was it twice a week? It was almost daily. Almost daily, yeah. I think it was four four days a week or something. Yeah. Four or five days a week. So what's the pressure of working on a... Oh, it was unbelievable. Not for the writers, because you wrote everything ahead. Yeah. Um... Well, I was I was in the uh, I was in this story department and uh, deciding what I wanted to do. I didn't really want to be a director, so I started mm. writing scripts and ideas and things. And yeah. I wrote a children's series. Uh, and funnily enough, I wrote one or two of them. But um, 
I got one of the writers I got in there was a, a young lady called Linda Marshall. Ah, yes. Now known as Linda, Linda Laplante. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did a bit of writing, uh, and uh, and then I thought, oh, you know, I, I looked at the. I mean, we didn't have ATV didn't have Coronation Street. They had Crossroads, which yeah. you know wasn't up to the same standard because it was, you know cheaper and, and more episodes and it was mm. run by uh, an Australian called Reg Watson who understood about how do how you do those yeah. episodes. And I said to him, look, I can do this, can I have a go at writing? And, uh, and he said, yes, okay. So I did a couple of sample scripts. Yeah. He said, oh yeah, fine. So in those days you got commissioned for 12 in a row. Mm -hmm. um, but basically they were storylined in advance by the storyline of Peter Ring. Mm. Uh, and, and you then, probably like other soaps, you their storyline and then you you then you know flesh out that episode with dialogue and yeah. like the scenes and everything um, and uh, so I thought yeah well why not I have a go and do it and with the proceeds I pretty much bought my first flat in London just shows you it wow. was you know, a big deal yeah so how's it sort of trying to write to someone else's idea you said that the plot line was already sort of mapped out yeah um, is it easy to write like that, knowing that there's already a plot line there, so you've got to fill in the dialogue? Was it, or is it a more difficult That's thing? Easy. To do? It's easy. It's easy. Really. And, yeah. and also, if you're if you're a, a novice like I was, yeah, um, it's good not to have to invent the characters and be responsible for the whole story. Mm. Because once you become a writer where you want to sort of tell your own story or whatever, then it's a different yeah. Okay, okay so you I have to do all the working out of the story yourself. Yeah, yeah. So. That, didn't you ever sort of want to move forward on to sticking with the soap, or was it? A, um, no, I was, it, it was something. I, no, you, I just thought that was good that was enough to yeah. for experience. And, and by then, I'd realised that um, I could become a script editor and work on with other writers, and, and that that was a stepping stone to becoming a producer. And um, yeah, I, I kind of formed that as an ambition because uh, I wanted to stay on the scripting side. Yeah. but also you know, have a bigger job and then I thought no I don't, don't want to go into directing uh, mm. this is the job for me so I then saw script editing as a sort of stepping step towards yeah. uh, producing which you know, yeah. a lot of people do now um, is it, am I right in saying that it's Barry Letts who's, that you have to thank for getting you on, on, the, on the rung to produce him no 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 the person uh, I have to thank is, is my agent really of the time yeah. Uh, Richard Wakely of uh, Fraser and Dunlop in those days. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, obviously being a good agent, knew everybody in the drama field. And he, he knew and was very friendly with Bill Slater, who was uh, head of serials mm -hmm. at yeah. uh, BBC. And so, luckily, um, I mean, the clever thing I did was to get an agent. Because in those days, uh, really only actors and directors had agents. I must have met them uh, producer. Producers kind of <laughs> didn't need them. No. Because most of them were on staff somewhere at the BBC or ITV. Or yeah. And I thought, well, I, I'll get ahead. Why don't I get an agent? So I got an agent. And Richard um, heard that they were looking for a producer to take over Doctor Who because Barry was moving on. Mm. And I, I don't really know the story, but I'm imagining they asked, they offered the job properly to yeah. staff producers at the BBC and they probably all turned it down <laughs> it, was, it was seen as a tough gig uh, and I've been working you know, in children's programmes and things and yeah. done quite well and, uh, and went, I went to see Bill Slater and he thought oh yeah I'll take a gamble on this guy so that's how I got the job and the rest so is history really so Richard Wakely 
Now, interesting you say that about um, sort of children's television there. Um, do you think at that time, when you sort of stepped it or stepped into those shoes as a producer on Doctor Who, do you feel it was still viewed as a, a predominantly a children's show then, or was it more, or did you see it then as a family show? Well, no, it was. It, it was. I was told this is not a children's show. This is this is a family show. Yeah. Because. As you know, the BBC has and had a children's department. That's right, yeah. Well, if it was a children's show, it would have been made by the children's department. Okay. So this was a, this came out of the drama series and serials. Oh, um, So it was, a, it was always a sort of family yeah. show, but for, obviously for children primarily, but yeah. uh, not exclusively. Okay, so, so your first series, um, that you're in charge of the, the the script's already been commissioned by by Barry Letts. Is that is that right? Barry, yeah, yeah. And Bob Holmes. That's and, right. Uh, yeah. Terence had all worked on them together. Yeah. yeah. So how how did you feel? Not like, did you have so when you took up? Did you have your own? Did you have a vision in mind of what, of what direction you want to take the show in? I did, I did. I mean, not straight away, but um, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, I'd been given another show to produce to sort of get my hand in at the BBC yeah, yeah. because um, another producer walked off the show and uh, so I had a bit of time preparing that and then there was a strike in the BBC mm. and uh, I, I couldn't proceed with that show to produce it. Yeah. So I, ha I had a bit of extra time before I took over Doctor Who yeah. to really sort of read uh, science fiction a bit more deeply and uh, although I was quite reasonably well read in that mm. film and to look at the show being made and think about it yeah. and absorb the folklore of the Doctor Who and I think that, that gestation period really allowed me to formulate an idea of where I wanted to take the show yeah. and that's quite interesting and then when I saw these first scripts coming in mm. the season I was taking out I was a little bit, not disappointed but I, I thought oh I'm stuck I'm stuck with, if you like, the old version of the show. Yeah. And I'm already beginning to think I'd like to do something different with it. Yeah. So I had sort of mixed feelings about what I was inheriting. On the other hand, I was grateful that I was on the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the scripts were there, you know. Yeah. Uh, so what we tried to do was to sort of, what I did was to put a slightly different sort of spin on the treatment of those shows. Uh, yeah. I couldn't really change completely all the scripts. Yeah. No. So what, what um, is anything that springs to mind that you really want, you really tweaked to your children yes, that I first think, I think the first thing was um, was that we with David Maloney I said I don't you know I don't like Daleks. I mean they're stupid and silly and you know yeah. they work for the kids, the young kids, but yeah. can't we do something about this? And uh, and we, we talked about making it more adult and menacing. Uh, and uh, so we couldn't really change the scripts. And the scripts mm. were okay, they were good. Yeah. Uh, but we, we talked about making the lighting much more atmospheric so it wasn't so high key. Yeah. Um, we talked about trying to get as many um, angles, camera angles, on the dialects so below them. Yeah. So they kind of look menacing. So if you look at Genesis, you'll see there's a number of sh shots where the, the, the dialects come into 
and there are there are buzzies yeah. and cameras below, um, which took away that feeling of we were always on the studio floor and these pepper pots were just running around like pawns on a on a chessboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so and and we also put a bit of that dark mysterioso stuff at the very beginning of the, of the show. Yeah, uh, which wasn't completely in the script. Uh, was that with the with the, yeah, the time lord? Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So there was it was about changing the atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, as much as anything. So that's one example. I think that's probably one of the reasons why it sort of sticks in everyone's memory. It's constantly voted as one of the most popular, if not the popular, serials. Um, Genesis of the Daleks, yeah. and it's certainly one that sticks in my mind. I would have been sorry to do this five years old at the time. So, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. So after that, of the second series, what were you in charge? Was it Face of Evil? Was, was that your first commissioned script? No, probably the, um, the Loch Ness Monster. You know, the Zygon. Oh yeah, two of the Zygons. Yeah. yeah, it was probably the first one that was not written. But then that was knocked on, wasn't it? To the that's right, knocked on to the end, the, end of the next series. Yeah, that's right. So obviously, um, everyone sort of that period um, sort of embraced a lot, a lot of gothic aspect, a lot of gothic horror aspect. You sort of riffing on things like Frankenstein, from mm-hmm. so with, with Brain of Morbius, um, and obviously that got into a lot of trouble with a certain Mary Whitehouse, which a lot of people wouldn't know these, who she is these days. But um, just how much pressure? Did she put on you back then? Uh, she was sort of, to me, a bit of an irritant rather than <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of people, that's one word to describe, yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, I, I mean, she, I think it's right that the BBC, somebody is watching, mm. uh, in a way, on behalf of the audience. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm not. I wasn't entirely against you know everything she stood for, but I just didn't agree, if you like, with her opinions really as to where where the where you draw the line. Yeah. Also, in particular, was that it was the end of that episode where Tom Baker's been sort of drowned and it sort of freezes yes. on on that. Yes. Um, did you get any pressure from up above? On that one to sort of, because really, no. subsequent repeats have sort of trimmed that slightly, haven't they? That sort of that. Yes. Not uh, shot. I, uh, I mean, I was reading about this, and somebody brought a book to be signed, and I just had opened it at a page. Well, he had it opened at the page, and then I was reading a bit about what, what happened. Yeah. But I mean, my memory of it is that um, you show the program to the head of department before it gets broadcast. Yeah. After you've edited, you said that this is the shape of the show, uh, this yeah. is my version of the show. And when I showed it to Bill Slater, I said, um, I, I seem to remember saying, and I, you know, my memory's a bit, it's a long time ago, but yeah. um, that um, maybe we need to look at, at the ending, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, this is how I've cut it with the director. Um, and uh, I don't know whether, I don't, yes, I think that's what happened. And then Bill Slater said, yes, I think it goes on a bit too long. Mm. And in that meeting, uh, of the viewing, uh, David Lady said, well, I'll tell you what I could do. Mm. I could cut it earlier, but I can freeze the frame. Yeah. And so that was what was agreed as the compromise and I agreed to that, and Bill Slater, head of the department, agreed. Yeah, that's what yeah. was transmitted. 
Mistral, yeah. Um, and there was still a few all of that. Yeah, that's um, right. But I think that was acceptable. Yeah, that, that was the so perfect compromise. Yeah, he was ahead of the park. And Charles Curran sort of defended it in a letter to Mary Whitehouse. Yeah. So that's my understanding. Whereas she was concerned, I think she thought only little children watched this programme and mm. they had to be protected at all. You know, what, what was BBC doing? You know, putting something out like this that could frighten children, they got to wait a week and all that. Yeah, with well, that image in their mind, wasn't it? Was that the yeah, excuse but, you used? But, the, but then you think, well, hang on a minute, where does parental sort of responsibility mm. come here? I mean, yeah. we have a responsibility to our audience, but, but our audience spread from children of a certain age up to the adults watching as well. Yeah. And uh, I think that if, 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 it, if, if, it's only, if, if it were only acceptable to children of five years old or six years old, mm. it wouldn't have been the same programme. No. So no, there's always going to be this area uh, you know, yeah. a, a debate really. No, I agree with what you're saying um, about the parental control aspect of it. If you, I think my my kids watch Doctor, they watch the old series, what I watched when I was a kid. Um, if they don't like something, they'll say, "Well, can you? I don't like it, Daddy." So I'll, I'll turn it off. I won't, you know, yeah. as you say, the parents do play a role yeah. in this as the, well. The, you know? the rule, the funnily enough, the rule that I agreed with, the sort of un- unwritten rule mm. that I agreed with. Uh, and, and funnily enough, Barry Letts told me what this rule was. Yeah. And yet he and Terence Dix actually broke it. <laughs> um, was that you had to be very, very careful if you brought um, sort of horror, monsters, or danger into the recognisable environment of a child. Yeah. So in other words, don't bring a, a sort of clawed hand under the the window of the bedroom of the child. You know, yeah. That's the sort of thing you wouldn't do. That's right, now, funny yeah. enough, Bob Holmes, who had to be restrained at all times, <laughs> did something similar with the, I think it was Terror of the Autons, I can't remember. Oh, with the little devil yeah, doll. Yeah, 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 that's right. And yeah. Barry let, sort of broke his own rule there, because I think that was in, in a home, in a domestic situation. Yeah. Um, children, if, they, if it's in the world of fantasy and in the world of the imagination, mm. I think they can take a lot, but if you bring it into the domestic situation, yeah. it, it becomes, uh, you know, much more disturbing. Yeah. And so that that rule, I absolutely agreed with, and we sort of observed that. Rule, you know? Yeah. So I can't think of anything during your tenure that was in like and, the home, you know. And yeah. interestingly, I mean, coming up to date, if you think of, well, not recently, but over the years of the EastEnders, mm. um, which is definitely watched by children yeah uh, there have been some sequences including murders and I don't know what um, but at the time I thought, why is this going out at eight o'clock yeah you know is this you know and that's in a soap so these problems you know maybe I've now joined the old game <laughs> and uh, I'm behind the times but I sometimes get shocked by what goes through on some of those soaps actually it does seem quite innocent now when you look back to what people complained about then, to, as you say, to what you see on the television now. Um, was, was, did that influence you leaving, Doctor, or did you say, I've, no. I've done my time and I want no, to no, do no, something no, else no. now? No, I, no I, I was prepared to do another, another season. Oh, right, okay. Okay, why, why didn't that happen? 
Well, it was just office politics, really. Yeah. You know, they used to move producers around a bit like musical chairs. And yeah. And that was it. So is it Target you went on to yeah. after that? Yeah, that was that was on a bit late in the evening for, for me, that one. Well, not that age. The only thing I can remember of that was... Um, there's an episode Katie Manning was in. Yes, that was a good episode. Yeah, I remember she was she played drug addict. Yes, yeah, did. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I remember being violently ill as yes. well. I seem to remember. Yeah, that's always stuck with me for some reason. That one. Um, looking at Doctor Who now, um, is it something you sort of? Like, oh God, I wish I could get back into it again. Would you? If they said, Philip, would you come out of retirement and produce us a series of Doctor Who now? If they said that, I'd say. No, because I think it's beyond me, really. Uh, you know, it's, it needs it needs the the modern approach that it's getting. Yeah. Uh, if they had said to me, "Could you be in the background as a sort of consultant, come wise old bird about that, you know?" Or yeah. 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 And, and now and again, they rang me up and said, "Oh, what do you think?" And yeah. That would have been fine. Yeah. But um, no, I think it needed. It's younger producers and younger writers and yeah. uh, a more modern approach to the storytelling, all yeah. of which has been a great success. Oh, yes, yeah, definitely. Starting with Russell T. Davis and Steve Moffat. So, looking what they can do now um, with like effects and different lighting and the cameras and everything, would there be anything you would go back to to say, I'd like to use those modern, the modern technology on a particular story you did Say like Genesis of the Daleks, because you, you talk about the lighting and the camera angles there. Well, yes, ne- nearly. Uh, I mean, nearly all of the stories would have benefited really, <laughs> because I mean, basically, if you f- if you shoot, a, uh, you know, story uh, on basically on a single with a single camera, yeah, uh, like a film method, you can be much more precise, mm. uh, and it's much easier to tell a, an adventure story or an action story that way yeah. than trying to do it. In a, a studio which is really set up for recording, you know, a soap opera. Or, yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. where, I mean, the whole point of electronic cameras in a studio is uh, it's good for dialogue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why our stories you know, had more character, more dialogue, and weren't as fast paced as a film series because mm. they weren't shot on film. No. So uh, the thing that they have today, which we didn't have, is, is the post production. Know, they can play around and add to the. Uh, I mean, they can multi. You know, you can have a thousand Cybermen coming over the horizon, and, yeah. and all sorts of stuff that we couldn't do. Couldn't, yeah, yeah, just couldn't do at all. So, is there um, anything you, you felt you, you you didn't achieve in, in your when you were in any particular series as a producer or even as a script editor or writer? Is there anything you felt you didn't achieve? Uh, you mean my whole career? Your whole career, yeah. Well, didn't achieve. Well, I'm very keen to do more serious drama, but I did manage to switch and do quite a few serious ones. Uh, Well, I suppose, in a way, I had hoped to produce a very popular but serious piece of drama Mm. that would have a real lasting impact. And I think when I look back on my career now, I suppose it's Doctor Who that's really had the lasting impact, yes, you know, if yeah. I'm really honest. <laughs> so I guess I should be happy there was one. <laughs> <laughs> now, my final question, I think we've been sort of wrapped up here. Um, final question, um, what's your opinion on the casting of Jodie Whittaker? So it's a question we were asking everybody. Yeah. I don't, I'm afraid I don't know her as an actress. No. Not really. 
up to speed on, on all that. Um, it, it's an interesting departure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you know, how it pans out. I think we all are. Mm. I think we all are. Philip Ernst thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. I know I certainly did, I can tell you. Um, to be honest, Philip Hinchcliffe is a bit of a hero of mine and he's someone I've always wanted to sit down with and, and, and talk to. And he was very patient sitting opposite a very nervous interviewer who was also cosplaying as the 12th Doctor, asking questions he's been asked numerous times before. So, uh, now there are a couple of interviews to come, so keep a look out um, for those over the coming weeks. Um, that's interviews with uh, production designer Michael Pickwood and Doctor Who legend Wendy Pabry. So, um, before I bring this podcast to a close, as I said the, earlier on, there are a few shout-outs and thank-yous that I need to do. So, firstly, many thanks to Philip Hinchcliffe uh, for the interview. Um, also, the guys at Staggering Stories, Adam, Karen, Scott, Jean and Keith, uh, for basically inviting me to, to sit in and record um, these interviews with them and for making me feel so welcome for the entire weekend. I, you know, I really do appreciate it, guys. Um, also, Tim Drury from Tim's Take On Podcast for also making me feel very welcome as well and for saving the day with his recording of the, of the interview we, we heard earlier. Many thanks, Tim. Um, also, thanks to Dean Hill, who was running around all day shepherding guests to the podcast room and for putting my name down to Philip Hinchcliffe, uh, interview Philip Hinchcliffe in the first place. So thank you, Dean. And last and by no means least, uh, Steve Hatcher and the rest of the team at Hoover's for organising a really fantastic convention and, uh, and getting us all access to the various uh, convention guests. So, you know, many, many thanks. Um, you'll be able to hear all the Hooverville interviews recorded with people such as Nicola Bryant, Toby Haydock, uh, Jessica Martin, Christopher, and Christopher Benjamin, to name but a few, on the Staggering Stories and, and Tim's Take on podcast. So, um, you know, please do give them a listen. They're a great bunch of guys, and, um, you know, please do listen to their podcast. It's really, really good. Um, so, all the links to Staggering Stories, Tim's Take on the Hooverville uh, websites uh, can be found in the show notes. So, I do advise you, as I said, please do give them a listen. Um, so there you are that's it for this week um, so until next time uh, when I think Paul will be joining me again so it's goodbye from me Phil goodbye to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. Mm-hmm.